on Boo Things. It's your girl, Rebecca. And Lily. And you're listening to Just Schooly Things. <laughs> What's going on, Boo Things? It's your girl, Rebecca and Lily. We, we are so excited to be back. 2024, new year, new chapters, and new topics to talk about. So, Lily, um, you were onto the Just Schooly Things Instagram page and did and asked us anything. So, since this is your segment, uh, you want to take it away? Absolutely. So um, it's so fun how the tables have turned. Rebecca's usually the one interviewing. Ah, yes. I didn't even think of it like that. Love that. Yeah. You, lucky for you, you get a break. Mm. Okay. Um, so let me start with the ones. We did get them a few different ways. I did get a couple of texts, a couple, and we got some messages and then some comments. So Let's start with the comments. Um, okay, so Simply Jojo ninety seven commented and asked us um, actually a few questions. First of all, we're happy you're a huge fan. I do want to say that Thank I love you. our fans, right? Um, first question: Where the hell were y'all? Let's start with that, um, Rebecca. You put your answer first. Okay, so I'll start first, just simply because mine isn't as crazy as Lily's. So. I will, I will be quick with this. November. Your first is happier. Oh, I, I definitely would not want to be, I, I definitely didn't want your side of the wishbone. Let's just say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you definitely got the short side of that wishbone and towards Always. the end of 2023. So, um, I got married and <laughs> so was super busy with that. And, uh, we went on our mini moon, which we went to Sedona, Arizona. If you guys haven't been to Sedona, Definitely put that on your list. Pictures do not do it justice. It was so beautiful. In Sedona, there are so many different trails you could take that you can go back to Sedona and not do the same thing ever again. Like you, there's so many different things you can do. Different, like either family-friendly trails or more advanced ones. We kind of like did a little bit of everything as much as we could do without like burning ourselves out. But they have yeah. certain trails. They're called vortexes. And these vortexes are just parts of these trails that I don't really know the science behind it, but it really is just a a type of energy that you feel the difference. And so there were different parts where Mike and I would sit and we would meditate and it was like very like hippy dippy. And I loved that. It was just cool to experience that. Um, And then we did a, for our last day, which was on Mike's birthday, we did a tour to Page, Arizona, which is, you'll see it on my Instagram but it kind of looks like these rock formations kind of resemble something you'd see out of a Dr. Seuss book. And uh, as our tour guide was bringing us back home, right in the middle of Sedona, there's this crystal shop and they do hand auras and are not even just hand auras. They do, uh, it's a, like a webcam and it captures your image. And then somehow there's some technology in the computer that reads your aura. And then it breaks down it's 22 pages of oh my God. everything about you, whether like what the best career choice would be based off your aura, your friendships, your relationships, and like 
uh, what you, a different auras that you're compatible with, but your aura can change. So the guy was telling us that, um, one time he went just like completely sober. He just went by himself. And then one time his friends came to visit him. They got completely hammered and then they went to the crystal shop and they got their auras <laughs> red. And it's so crazy how his aura drastically changed based off of being under the influence of alcohol. And so it just shows oh. how like our elements and like our environments can change our aura. So that was really cool. And I'm still to this day, like breaking down the 22 pages that they gave us. Mm-hmm. And it was just really cool. And it was only like 40 bucks. Oh my God. It was just a, it was just a cool experience because Sedona is very crystal and energy based. And I think yeah. our things would really appreciate something like that. So if you're looking for somewhere to go, Sedona, Arizona. Do you want to do you want to tell the boot things why on your end we've kind of had to slow things down? Okay. Um sure. So, I know our last episode I did give um a whole little spiel about Masha who was uh, my soulmate and talking about looking at her on Rebecca's bachelorette trip too and being like when I come home I'm getting this dog like I'm not just applying like she is mine I will have her. So, I leave on the 21st and the dog sitter comes. Um, and then on the 22nd, she's like, hey, like she's not eating her food. And the day of the 23rd, she was getting sick. And then Christmas Eve, I texted the dog sitter in the morning and I was like, how is she doing? Like, are you giving her just the wet food? And it was fine. And then she was fine that morning doing the same thing. I texted in the morning. I texted the dog sitter and I said, you know, how is she doing? She said, good. I gave her the Pepsid in a little like pate dog food meatball. She kept it down. She's not eating all of her food, but she ate some of it. And I said, okay, that's fine. Then she was like, she didn't want to go for a walk. I said, okay, that that's weird. And so I was like, you know what, when I come home and I was thinking maybe I'd fly home on the 26th instead of the 28th to get her to the vet. And I get a call from the dog sitter And she's like, no, she's really sick. And she sends me a video. And this was not just water that she was sick with. You know what I mean? Um, It was bad. And she looked bad. Two, three weeks prior, I did take her for blood work. And her blood work was perfect. I text the dog sitter. And I'm like, hey, how is she doing? And she goes, okay, well, she stopped. She won't drink water. She won't eat. We're on the couch right now watching movies. And she sent me a picture of the two of them. And I saw that picture and I saw that dog and I was like, that's not my dog. And then a couple hours later, I was on a plane and I walk into my apartment and Masha, who usually ran over to me, just kind of walked over and like slunk her head and she looked weak. And I was like, okay, this is bad. So on the 26th, I did have to make the decision. Um, and it was a really hard one because all of my last dogs we made as a family decision and we had had them longer. Um, and we hadn't, we had only put two of them down before and it, but it, and it was always like family discussion and I was never there. Right. Yeah. My parents were not about to take their daughter with a mood disorder <laughs> to yeah. put a dog down. Like they were not going to horrify anyone, but now it was just me. And I call my parents and I talk to my mom and she's like, show this dog, like some mercy. Like you gave her the best five months of her life that she had ever had. She had her own mom. She had her own home. She didn't, there were no other animals in the house. It was just you and her. Mm-hmm. And that's all she ever could have wanted. And I said, okay, okay, but you're not, you're, you're not here and you don't see her. Like you, maybe, maybe there's a chance. She puts my dad on the line and my father, the lawyer puts it in a way that makes sense. And he said, listen, 
they did not rescue this dog. She was, a we think, a former fight dog, right? They're like, nobody, they didn't rescue her. Her foster didn't foster her. And you did not adopt her for her life to end the way it had begun. And then she was gone. And then I needed some time. Yeah. Um, then I got a kidney. <laughs> okay, now here we go. This is well, less can I, sad. Can I, can I, like, say something real quick? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, I, you know, I, I never got to meet Masha in person. But, I mean, anyone that, like, saw Lily's journey with Masha on Instagram, like, just knew, like, the love that these two had and still have for each other. And um, I, I was telling Lily this, too. Um, just, like, the having to make the decision to like put your soul dog down like it, it, it it's something I can't even describe or like genuinely understand I don't think anyone ever could unless they go through it but I think it's a testament like from when you moved out of Jersey to come to Florida who you are now compared to that girl if you had to go through that I don't know how you would have made it through that but for you to be able to make such a grown-up decision and such a selfless decision, because you could have been, you know, made the selfish decision, like, no, like I'm yeah. going to spend all this money and just keep the dog. Not that Masha would have ever been the same, but just right. because you wanted to keep Masha alive for your own reasons. Mm-hmm. To be able to make that decision, be like, no, like this is the best for her. I don't know how I'm gonna get through it, but I'm going to because I know that this is the right choice is a testament to who you are as a dog mom and just as a person. <laughs> and like, I think it, it, I think it just shows such growth that you were able to do this on your own too. And you should be so proud of yourself because like you gave that dog the best life. It po- I mean, that dog lived a better life than I did in the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> and even with getting married, like that dog. And um, I, I just, I don't, I, you know, I, you know, still have so much love for Masha and, um, you know, I think that you, you know, that was a very brave and big decision. And I'm very proud of you for how you handled it. Cause not everyone could do what you did. So I had to just add that. Um, I'm feeling a little better. Go get a new dog. Her name is Lola. And I listened, um, to a piece of advice that Rebecca gave me, which was when you are ready, Masha will send you a sign. And sure enough, on my mom's Facebook page, just a general page she follows on her feed, had this dog who was seven years old and had been in foster for six years, you know, and that's a whole story for another day. But she was in Florida two hours away from me. I went, I met her, fell in love and was like, yes, I I am more ready than I thought. And I went and I got her. And then um, all of a sudden I'm back in pain and I go to the ER and I'm like, okay, I recently had a more severe kidney infection than I thought I had. Da, 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 da. I'm sick. I'm nauseous. Right. I'm get I'm getting sick. And they were like, okay, well you have gallstones and uh, to make light of it, basically. And I, I told Rebecca this before we caught, you know, before we recorded and we were catching up. I was on the verge of critical organ failure and they had to do an emergency surgery to remove my gallbladder because it was causing my pancreas to like poison me Mm because it was like leaking and stuff. Um, And that was, uh, I guess, a week and a half ago. And now we're here. So long story short, we were about to record this episode, but me being on this earth, mm-hmm. I really communicated from the other side. So we really 
Lily, you kind of should have taken one for the team because we could have had two <laughs> and really start this new year, this new season of just bully things on a completely different note, a completely different perspective. But you know what? It's fine. I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad <laughs> it all worked out, you know, but I'm just saying we could, we could have taken a different approach to this season. What is your favorite haunted place? I have mine already. Say it. All right. I, well, I actually have two. Not going to lie. Um, I like the classics. I'm going to say the Stanley Hotel. Classic, yeah. And uh, the Winchester Mystery House. I was, was going on. to say Winchester Mystery House. Yes, that was yes! the first. That was the first one I was going to say. Um, mm-hmm. I also I also have a soft spot for the Lizzie Borden House because that okay. Was- one of the first like paranormal tours I ever took and the whole mystery behind that murder. It just, Oh, I, I, I remember visiting at such a young age and mm-hmm. you know, most kids get freaked out by the gory side of a story like that. And the paranormal yeah. side freaks them out. But I remember like, I, you. yep. <laughs> I remember talking about it in previous episodes about every year, my mom and her group of girlfriends and I, we would always go every year the week before yeah. Halloween to Salem. So that's a part of my childhood. So the Lizzie Borden house also has a special place in my heart. All right. If you could choose to stay for one weekend at any haunted place in the world, what would it be? This is an excellent question. I like this one. Mm -hmm. I I mean, for me, I think, I think it would have to go back to the Winchester mystery house. Mm-hmm. As you know, that is, that is my favorite haunted spot. I would love to stay at the Stanley. Mm-hmm. The first place that popped into my head though, actually isn't either one of my favorite places. I think it would be the most interesting to stay in. And that's the Velisca Axe Murder House in um, Iowa. Our friend Melinda Fay. Our, um, you remember she won our giveaway a while back yes. with James Allen Ross. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, her, she says, my question for y'all both, um, of all the stories you have told, what is one that's stuck in your head? Ooh, that's a good question. One that is really stuck in my head is, do you remember it was last season? We tell so many and we have so much crazy shit going on. Like I've had 16 seizures. So my memory's fucked. Um, do you remember the one I uh, maybe missed it was one you told about a plantation that was haunted and there were like bodies in the wall. It's funny when I read I tried really hard not to prepare answers before and when I read that one for some reason the question, "Hey, come on. Sorry, that's Lola, my new baby. Lola, quiet. Good girl." Um the question kind of stuck with me. And then I remembered I was actually talking with my friend. She's going to go see the Savannah Bananas, um, which. Oh, yes. The baseball. You know the Savannah Bananas? Yes. She told me uh, about a haunted venue in Savannah. Um, and as I was texting with her and she was telling me how excited she is for the game. Basically, in Savannah, there were so many. Hey, come on. So many buried people during the Civil War. And then they built on top of it that like there's teeth in the road from skeletons and stuff and like little bones because it like gets wrapped up in the tree roots or something. We'll do a deeper dive into it. But yeah, you'll find just like teeth like mixed with cement sometimes or something. And so as I was reflecting on that, that made me think of the plantation with the people in the walls and whatever. So like that's 
That that answer just came to me when I wasn't even looking for it. We got a lot from our follower, Lena Colo, I think I'm saying that right. Um, been to any concerts lately? So my last concert was the Jonas Brothers concert back on, I think it was December 5th at the Prudential Center. Uh, yeah. I was a JB girl since the very beginning. And mm-hmm. so me and, and my one of my best friends, Mel, we like made it a tradition that we go to Jonas Brothers concerts together. My first Jonas Brothers concert wasn't with her. It was at Hershey Park. But over the years, as we've gotten older, we've kind of like made it a little tradition that as we get older... And I have to say, it's so funny when you go to a Jonas Brothers concert because it's so like our age demographic that yeah, yeah. you have young kids that were there, mm-hmm. but more likely than not, those young kids that were there were because their moms were Jonas Brothers fans. And like, it's yeah. just funny seeing all of us grow up and get older and being able to like pass down our, our taste in music to the younger generations. Um, That's really true. And when I was younger, when we go to the Jonas Brothers concert, I remember my first concert ever, it was absolute chaos because we were all 11, 12 years old, swearing that, like, mm-hmm. the Bermuda shorts and Hollister t-shirt I was wearing, you know, Nick Your Jonas outfit was With going time. I swore to God, jo- Nick Jonas was going to pick me out of that crowd in that outfit, <laughs> bring me backstage, pull his purity ring off, and we were going to get married and have kids and, like, the whole thing. That clearly yes. didn't happen. And honestly, it's just, it's it's so comical. But now as I get older and, like, going to these concerts, it's just such a different vibe than that now because we've all grown up. Like, we all know we're not marrying the Jonas Brothers, which is okay. But you still have that little bit of hope in you. I have since realized since that last concert that I have converted myself from a Nick girl to a Joe girl. And I think that that's growth as well. And now Joe Jonas, I think now that he's newly single, I don't, I think he's actually with somebody now, but like that post-divorce glow, like he's like, he, he knows what he's doing with his outfits. He knows what he's doing with his muscle flexes. He knows what he's doing with his TikToks where I feel like I'm FaceTiming him. And yeah. just so you boo things know, Mike is very aware of this relationship I have with Joe Jonas that he doesn't know about, but my husband yeah. knows about it. And um, I'm just, yeah, it's, it's a different era. I'm in a new, I'm a new era in my life. I think Joe grew the muscles he grew from just keeping the band on his back that whole tour. And then the week before my wedding, I went to a Teddy Swims concert and that was more yeah. like, Mike's a huge fan of Teddy Swims. That was great. Mm-hmm. It was at Terminal 5. But I did realize I am at that point in my life I'm at that age where I cannot do general admission. I cannot be standing at a concert for five hours without a chair accessible. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was going to say, I am, I'm literally the one with two diseases who is a disabled, like, I am a disabled person, right? And yet, I, I will sit on the concrete on a newspaper five hours before a concert at the venue. My last concert was, I think... In November, and actually did cause me to have a flare up because I did too much traveling. It was either, I think it was the weekend before your wedding. I flew home for only 36 hours to see my favorite band, Bahamas. Um, okay, Ashlyn says, What spooky things do you want to cover? I think it would be pretty cool to cover Native American grounds. Page, Arizona is, uh, is Native American, it's on a Native American reservation. Mm-hmm. And so the part of Page, Arizona, where we went to those rock formations, our our tour guide changed from 
uh, from being an American man to uh, somebody, a Native American man whose family owns that property. So when you go on that tour, you're actually switching tour companies because you're going on Native American land. And Mm -hmm. um, that section, the family has to give you permission to go there. And they tell you the history. So there was like a huge part of those rock formations that someone like you or I can never go to because it's owned by a Native American family that just does, it, they see it as sacred land. And so they will not wow. allow you to go there. And mm. piggybacking off of that, one of the rules of going to Page, Arizona and touring the rock formations was that you couldn't bring your backpack off the bus. And the reason why is because um, they're scared of people bringing like foreign objects onto their land because of their, um, because of their history. For example, Mm -hmm. some people will bring ashes that there was a situation where somebody had brought their family's ashes and wanted to scatter them on the native American land. And yeah. And out of all places, you know, they scatter thinking it's, you know, it's a beautiful landmark. They want to, you know, their loved one maybe wanted to be laid to rest with that beautiful scenery, but little did they recognize you're tainting a sacred place with the ashes of someone that may have not been Native American. And for the Native American culture, that's like a huge no-no. And so they had to take a year and a half of not allowing any tourists there to try to cleanse the land Ah. of the spirit from those ashes that were scattered. So they take it very seriously. And the tour guide was, you know, was very open with, you know, family history from his side, but he mm-hmm. was like, you know, there are things that we will not talk to the general public about. And mm-hmm. there are things that if you, if you go to certain parts, like Native Americans still will not speak to people about because they don't believe they will appreciate the culture. And that's also a part of why we don't know as much, which in, for me, makes me more interested in the subject. Yeah. Next from Ashlyn, what stories are you guys looking for? All of them. Paranormal podcasting, I think, is the gift that keeps on giving because it all does fall fall under like a very wide umbrella and everything. Um, okay. Now, we have some boy band related questions. All right. I'm ready. From Olivia. They are One Direction based. Mm, okay. I know that you are more well-versed in Jonas Brothers. Yes. I think the way to go about this is I will answer with my one direction, with my directioner opinion, and then you will give your Jonas Brothers answer. Okay. Which one direction, so which Jonas Brother is most likely to be possessed by the devil? We got some silly ones in here. Definitely Joe. (laughs) He, you know, him being the middle child, he's going (laughs) to want to grab attention from somewhere. And so that may be... (laughs) trying to grab attention in the wrong places and he's just going to summon a demon with a Ouija board because he just needs, he needs someone to talk to. If I were to have to pick a one direction, um, remember to be possessed by the devil. God, I'd have to say, I'm thinking, I think Liam, which Jonas brother member is most likely to die first in a horror movie. I have an answer for that. You have an answer for that. Has to be Kevin. Yeah, right? It's got to be Kevin. But I'm sorry, Kev. 
Done. Uh, One Direction, I would have to say, to die in a horror movie. Me first. Okay, well, um, I'm going to say it has to depend on what point the the death happens, right? If it's, like, start off, like, you know, Psycho, they killed off Janet Lee in the first, like, 10, 20 minutes, and everyone thought she was the star, and everyone in the theater was like, wait a minute, what the fuck is this movie? They just killed the female lead. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I would say if it happens very early in the movie, it would be Harry. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say anything other than that, dying first, Louie. Which One Direction song, when played backwards, is most likely to summon a demon, Olivia? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm more, I mean, you're more, I I believe you're more familiar with Joe Bro's discography. Mm -hmm. Which one would that be for you? Probably Burning Up. Yep. Good answer. Yeah. I I don't even need to, it doesn't even need to be played backwards. There you go, Burning Up. I'm starting up. Um, One Direction, I'm going to say the obvious answer to me would be Drag Me Down. And then my friend Aurora, and I believe this is the last one. What are, well, there's two. What are your top three Halloween movies? Mm -hmm. And the second question is, what are your favorite Halloween costumes from childhood, teenhood, adulthood? So um, I'll go first with this one. Okay. First question. Uh, the Conjuring and Good one. movies. Those Good one. are like, those are my favorite films. And also I would have to say that Sinister, if, we, if I had to pick three different um, types of movies, it would be Conjuring, Insidious, and, and Sinister. Because those okay. are films that have made me jump out of my seat. Yeah. In regards to the second question, I think my favorite costume of all time would probably be would probably be when I was the Pope for Christmas uh, for I was gonna say Christmas for Halloween. Because what? I was the Pope. I believe it was I believe it was seventh grade, and it was like during my like glasses and braces like Meg Griffin era, completely unhinged. Um, my mom was the nun. No, I think I was sixth grade because my grandma was still alive. So it was my I think it was my sixth grade year, and. Uh, it was just, just such a different time. Like, I mean, you had to be there. It was, you had to be there. I was so unbothered. My favorite Halloween costume. Oh God. I used to do this thing when I was a kid where I would be set on a Halloween costume from like September and then change it right before Halloween. And then on Halloween night, change it again. I was Tinkerbell one year for Halloween. Cute. I could see that. And I threw an absolute temper tantrum because it was cold. And my mom made me wear a white turtleneck underneath my Tinkerbell dress and tights. If you and are I was like, on the East Coast, you do not understand the frustration of Halloween during the fall season and wanting to wear a super cute costume, but not being able to wear it the way you wanted to. Yeah. It's just not sustainable to go trick-or-treating in. For my top three favorite Halloween movies, I don't know. I mean, I like to watch Halloween and horror movies year-round. I would say, the I mean, The Conjuring, mm-hmm. I love. Another one that I really love that I think is very underrated is The Boy. Um, another one, okay, I'm going to do a deep cut here because this is one that I also watch around Halloween that is kind of Halloween-themed and is scary. Monster House. That's a good one. Cause that's like family friendly. Like that's yeah. like 
if you are if you are a paranormal horror lover like and you have kids that's the movie that you watch to like slowly wean them into the culture um and i believe that is actually it for our q a which was really really fun yeah i liked that a lot that was a great way to kind of dip our toes back into podcasting again so to officially start the episode uh, Lily, and I, <laughs> Lily and I have found two stories each on Reddit that we are both going to read and give you guys our feedback on the stories. So, um, Lily, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Um, you can start. All right. Well, actually, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad that you brought up in the question part of the episode saying that one of your favorite episodes was about finding body parts in on the plantation and the reason yeah, yeah, yeah. I reminded you of that was because down in the south there's concrete that has teeth in it and yeah. possibly grown into the roots of a tree because the first story that I'm going to talk about today that I found on reddit um, was by the user by the username Toastahand and the story is titled my story with a possibly haunted tree. So this happened over a year ago and it involves multiple encounters. I'd love to hear your theories about what it could be. I will preface this by saying I never really believed in the supernatural, but I do know that there's much about the world we have not yet discovered. Mm-hmm. My friends and I used to like to take long walks at night. Almost every night we'd go out into the city and explore parks big and small or the streets of the city. One January night, it was extremely foggy and we found ourselves in this very creepy park. We kept walking in the fog, making jokes and noticing strange marks on the ground, which seemed to be made by something weird, like a dog being dragged, but we made no note of it. I did take a picture though. A while later, I spot something off the path. It looked like a signpost and decided to go to it. After further exploration, it turned out to be a tree with a lamppost right next to it, which is why it seems so distinctive. It wasn't a very impressive or creepy tree. It just looked like your run-of-the-mill average young tree. However, it seemed to call to me, sort of. It felt sad, like I need to be there for it and comfort it. My friends were calling to me, but I wasn't responding. All that mattered was me being there for this sad tree. After around 30 seconds looking at my friends' scared faces, we decided to leave. It wasn't easy leaving that tree alone. I felt really sad, like I was abandoning it. But we had to go home at some point, and this was my first encounter with that tree. Nothing happened for some time. I showed some other friends the tree during daytime and felt nothing. I later tried to take the girl I was dating at the time to the tree, also during the day, but I couldn't find it. We looked for an hour and felt that the tree did not want to be found that day. It was angry and disappointing. Some hours later, some, I'm sorry, some months later, one of my friends from the first encounter and I decide to again at night, but this time take our spiritual friend with us who always said she had vibrations more in tune with the supernatural entities. Just a note, this friend, not the spiritual one, never has any gut feelings, especially like that danger feeling you get sometimes. Now, anyway, we went to the tree and I felt coldness from it. It was not happy. It would not harm us, but it would not protect us if something did try to harm us. We heard a rustling sound from the path to the right of the tree, probably an animal or something, but then we all felt it at the same time from the path on the left. Something was coming for us. It was something sinister. The path was completely dark 
And my my non-spiritual friend asked, do you guys feel that? I replied, yep, something's coming. And the spiritual friend said, yes, yes, we have to leave now. And we all hightailed it out of there. The spiritual friend said that we shouldn't go back to that tree and that it feels like some kind of portal is there or a connection to something or somewhere supernatural. The last encounter with the tree, we decided to go, the original three from the first encounter, but this time now taking my now girlfriend whose mother had prophetic dreams and was now also starting to have prophetic dreams as well. We get there and the tree just felt silent. Like it wasn't there anymore. But the place itself felt odd. My girlfriend felt unsafe and we ended up leaving. She also said that it felt like a portal and advised me never to go back and never mess with these things as they shouldn't be messed with. And that it's possibly that the tree or whatever entity is in or around the tree is trying to lure me into helping it. I have not been back since. What's interesting is every time we went, I felt the need to research, to know, to find out what's up with this tree. But yet this feeling always got fainter the further away from the tree I got, which is why I haven't shared this story until now. I'd love to know what you guys think about this. What could it be? And that is the end of my story. I I, I do think that it's a smart call saying that there was maybe like a, a portal or something. I mean, clearly pulling this writer in. Yeah. Right. I'll throw the story. Um, <clears throat> there was a sign attached to the tree. It was like a lamppost that was a right lamp. next to the tree, which is why I guess in the dark, it made it shaped to look like something weird, which enticed that person to initially get closer to the tree. Right. So it was kind of like a trick of the eyes, which who knows, maybe the spirit kind of manipulated this person's sight to think one thing that it would know would entice that person to come closer, which in turn, the closer this person got to the tree, kind of sucked them in. There may be some soul connection. There might be someone buried under the tree or maybe someone put ashes that are part of that tree. Who knows? But then someone um, commented saying that in Louisville, Kentucky, where this, this other Reddit users from, Mm-hmm. They said that they have a tree very similar to this, and it was a sacred space for witches during the Victorian era. So maybe there's oh. something behind this tree as well related to witchcraft. Who knows? I like that. Yeah, I mean, processing it now, I will say, and it does go kind of perfectly with what I was saying about, like, the savanna and the the teeth and the cobblestone. Reflecting on it now, maybe even somebody, a millennium, ago could have been buried under that ground right where that tree sits mm-hmm. i mean tree and like you said like they're living and enti- like they're living beings they have energy and i mean i'm i i am a big fan of a portal theory because i feel like we don't talk about those enough and i do wonder almost and it's also giving like nightmare before christmas i said yes yes right all right lily what is your first story this first one is called A Bad Move, and this is by Ramlip3543 on Reddit. This is a true accounting of events that occurred between November 2012 and January 2013. This is not a contrived or exaggerating recounting. I want to preface that I am a recovering addict and have been clean for two years and three months when the occurrences began. 
Because I chose to maintain my anonymity as a recovering addict in keeping with the traditions and principles of my program, I do not use my real name, nor do I use the actual names of anyone, including in this recanting. I am a college graduate and career professional, but I will not disclose specific in specifics in these areas either. I will use actual geographical locations, but will not disclose the address of the location where the story takes place. I am a very spiritual person and it is my faith that saved my life. My faith, my mom, my recovery family. I was 43 years old when the events occurred. First off, I'm loving the cards on the table. Yes. Right. All right, here we go. In November 2012, after a painful breakup with a partner of 10 years, I, along with my seven-year-old black Labrador retriever, Sora, moved out of the 2,500-square-foot house that I owned with my former partner, because we had put it on the market, and into one side of a duplex that was just east of downtown Orlando. The ranch-style red brick two-bedroom unit was perfect. I recall feeling a sense of accomplishment in finding a place so close to downtown, especially because the rental rate was surprisingly low considering the location and the space. I was less than a mile from the heart of downtown on the outskirts of the highly desirable Eola Heights. I have, side note, I have been to this area and it is gorgeous. Less than half a block away, there was a beautiful city park that was maintained by Orlando Horticulture Society. Perfect for my morning and evening walks with Sora. And I wonder if this is the same park, but there's tons over there. Um, That was a side note for me. Plus, the duplex had a fenced backyard that was perfect for those times when it was easier to just open the back door and let my precious pop out to do her business. The duplex was built in the late 1940s. The place had never been renovated and still had original terrazzo floors. I don't know what that is. Bathroom tiles, wood-stained kitchen cabinets, etc. But it had been very well maintained and, while outdated, it had a classic charm about it. The day that I signed the lease, Mike... The guy from the property management company informed me that they would not be leasing out the other side of the duplex, quote, anytime soon. He didn't offer an explanation. And frankly, I was so thrilled over the fact I would have privacy and wouldn't have to deal with anyone else on the property that I didn't ask why. The only thought that came to mind was there would be no complaints if I failed to scoop the poop on occasion. (laughs) If I had company, there would be no nosy neighbor minding my business. I could play my music as loud as I wished. If Sora barked, there would be no complaints. It represented freedom, privacy, and a sense of pride that I found such a great place that was so affordable in a great location. Finding the place that helped to somewhat ease the pain of the breakup and gave me a sense of independence, it was the first time in my life that I would live alone, or just without another human, that is. I loved Sora. She was my best friend and a great companion, and she enjoyed the fact that I started to let her jump up into my bed and sleep next to me at night, and she loved the walks in the nearby park. Because I was so close to downtown and on a somewhat busy street, there was a fair amount of foot traffic. Not a lot of foot traffic at, at night, but enough so that the sound of people conversing as they walked by never struck me as odd. I simply accepted it as part of living close to downtown. I kept my curtains closed all the time because I was close enough to the sidewalk that nosy passersby could see inside my house. A couple of weeks later, or I'm sorry, a couple of weeks after I had moved in, it occurred to me that every night around 11 p.m., I would hear what seemed to be the same voices engaged in the same undiscernible conversation. 
After about a week, my curiosity demanded that I see who these creatures of habit were, and at 11 p.m., I positioned myself by the front door. Like clockwork, at 11 p.m. on the dot, the same voices having the same muffled conversation could be heard starting at one end of the sidewalk in front of my duplex walking towards downtown. When I heard them talking, I started to open my front door, but as soon as I started to turn the doorknob, the conversation abruptly stopped. I opened the door and stepped out onto the front porch. For the first time in my life, I was genuinely terrified. It just didn't make sense. There were no people at all. Not on the sidewalk, not on the street. It was just silent. I didn't even hear the cars driving the busy stretch of East Colonial Drive just a few blocks away. That was the night that things started to happen. It started with my precious dog, the sight of Sora retreating to the corner of the living room farthest from the front door. Her whole body was trembling. It's burnt into my memory. I had to pick her up and carry her into the bedroom that night. That's crushing. That was also the night that the 11 p.m. voices stopped. But that's also the night when the really frightening things started up. What happened next convinced me that I was having genuine paranormal experiences. I decided to start keeping a journal of my experiences as they started happening at all hours of the day and night. This is the order that the first occurrences happened. Saturday morning, November 10th, 2012, between 10.05 and 10.10 a.m. Vacuuming my living room rug, the vacuum cleaner cut off. Then I heard the voice of an elderly sounding man as if only a couple of feet away from me say, what are you doing? Then the vacuum cut back on. I ran out of the house, calling Leah to follow me. I wouldn't go back, who's Leah? Eh. To follow me. I wouldn't go back into the house until my NA sponsor came over three hours later. Maybe he meant Sora? It's my guess. Tuesday morning, November 13th, 2012, approximately 1.20 a.m., Awakened by the sound of something crashing onto the floor in the kitchen. It sounded like a stack of plates. I got up to investigate the cause and found that every light in the house was on except for my bedroom light. And then the next morning, Wednesday morning, November 14th, 2012 at approximately 1.30 a.m. And then we have in parentheses, I had recorded myself turning off all the lights throughout the house before I went to bed. Smart. Right. I was awakened again by what sounded like a stack of plates crashing to the floor. The lights in the living room and kitchen were on. I got up and turned them off. As I climbed into the bed, both the kitchen and living room lights came on again. I continued to document the strange occurrences, but would just write down the dates, times, then say, same as last night, unless there was a change. Like the night that the lights in the living room turned on and off for about 10 minutes. By this time, I had gotten over my trepidation of sharing these experiences with the people I knew. I started to tell close friends about what I was experiencing, and much to my relief, the overwhelming response was loving and supportive. A friend of mine from my recovery program suggested that I have the duplex blessed and introduced me to an ordained minister from a nearby Unitarian church. I gratefully accepted my friend's offer to appeal to the minister to perform the blessing. And on Saturday, December 9th, 2012, two ministers and three of my friends from the program came over and prayed and performed a blessing. Then a sort of spiritual cleansing with sage. 
The ritual and prayers seemed to work. All the unusual activities stopped. I had a great Christmas in my new digs and felt a tremendous sense of relief. Sora seemed to be returning to her normal, playful self. It really seemed that everything was going to be all right. Until the night of January 10th, 2013, just a few weeks later. I have gone over it again and again, trying to figure out what it was that caused the whole experience to start again. It was as if I was watching a movie, complete with the 11 p.m. phantom pedestrians. That night, starting at 11.15 p.m., I called everyone who had been part of the blessing and cleansing. They all, in, a, in turn, agreed to come back the next weekend. The next day, I called the property management company and spoke to Mike, the property manager, and the person that had done the lease signing with me. I asked him how long the unit I had rented had been vacant before I moved in, why wasn't the other unit being leased, and if previous tenants had ever said anything about strange things happening in the unit. He only answered my first question before saying he had an important call and would get back to me. It was around this date that I started to get sick, not like a cold or stomach ache sick, but seriously painfully ill. I developed overnight, almost overnight, ulcerative colitis, even though I didn't have Crohn's disease. It was debilitating. It affected every aspect of my life. Then the infections came. This went on for weeks and caused me to have an extended medical leave of absence because I was put on IV antibiotics. <laughs> Same um, I, <clears throat> I was never one to get sick. I worked out daily, ate healthy, got plenty of rest, at least prior to moving into this duplex. Overall, I was a very active, very healthy person, especially since I had started my journey in recovery. My doctor was perplexed as to why my health had taken so drastic a turn. And then it happened. I was physically attacked. It was January 18th. I was pushed while stepping out of the tub. I fell onto the floor I've never been so scared. I started praying the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalms intermittently over and over, balled up in a fetal position. I was terrified and had reached my breaking point. Almost as if on cue, my dear friend Rico called me. I got to my cell phone. I was crying. The only thing I heard from Rico was, here's the deal. I am coming to see you right now. And if you have plans, cancel them. This is urgent. I'll be there in two hours. I'll explain when I get there. And... Are you okay, by the way? Rico lived in Tampa. I hadn't seen or spoken to him since the weekend that I moved into the duplex. Rico was the type who visited his psychic every week. He would frequently include comments like, well, Laura, his psychic, said I must do this, or Laura told me not to do insert activity here, or oh my God, she said this would happen. I adored Rico. I think that had I not been in a relationship when I first met him, I definitely would have pursued him. Whenever we were around each other, it was an amazing time. Oh, I love that. I dressed quickly and grabbed Sola's leash. I drove to a nearby dog park and waited for Rico to call. I was not going back into that house alone. Rico called two hours later to tell me he had arrived. He had, hidden, he had, he had used my hidden spare key to get into my unit. When I got back to the house, I walked in through the back door and called to Rico, who responded, do not close the back door. The smell of sage filled my house. I walked in the hallway and there was Rico and some woman that I had never seen before. Rico was waving his hands over a smoking roll of sage. He walked up to me, staring me in the eyes. Paul, this is Laura. 
Laura walked over and threw her arms around me and then leaned down looking at Sora and said, why, yes, girl, we are here to help, as if she was responding to a direct question from Sora. Rico went on to tell me that when he arrived at Laura's house that morning, the only thing she said was for him to go to his friend Paul and that she was coming along. She told Rico that Paul was in danger and they had to sage Paul's house, not just once, but a few times, and to get a priest to bless the house. Rico then told me, Paul, I've never spoken your name to her before. She always asks that I never give names so that her visions can be validated. When she said your name, I was already walking towards the door. What you are going through isn't a haunting, Paul. There is an evil here that will not stop inflicting harm until it is banished or destroyed. This is going to take so much more than I can do, Laura explained. Then, just as she finished speaking, I started feeling extremely nauseated. Sora ran out the back door to the far end of the backyard and started trembling. Then, right in front of me, Rico and Laura, in broad daylight, two of the kitchen cabinets opened and the contents started falling out of the cabinets. The three of us left the house and ran into the backyard. I started feeling more nauseated and I was shaking. I don't recall passing out. I only recall waking up in the hospital. My mom was sitting in a chair besides me. As my head cleared, mom explained that Rico had called her. I had been unconscious for three days. She had already visited me twice and had even picked up Sora and taken her home to my, to my mom's house. Once mom was sure that I was coherent, she took my hand and told me that I am never to go back to that house. The next morning, I was discharged from the hospital. My mom picked me up. I wasn't really paying attention to where we were until we turned onto the street where the duplex was. I thought I started to speak, but then as we pulled to the duplex, I saw my two brothers and their pickup trucks, several people from my program and a U-Haul. I am not exaggerating when I say that it took less than 30 minutes for everything that I had in that house to be removed and loaded onto one of the trucks. We caravanned to the house I owned with my former partner who was waiting at the house when we all pulled up. He had picked up my Jeep and parked it in the garage. Tim, my ex, met me at the car door. As I stepped out of the car, he hugged me. Quote, this doesn't mean we are getting back together, but I do love you and you gave everybody a real scare. This is where you belong for now. I laughed thinking to myself, you have no idea what a real scare is. <laughs> Within a week, my health had started to return. The ulcerative colitis was gone. So were the infections. I forgot to mention that Sola had started losing her fur. Within the first three, within three weeks, her fur had grown back and uh, she was vibrant and healthy. Sorry, Sora, not Sola. My bad. I called the property management company and advised them that I had vacated the duplex and I demanded my deposit back. I advised them that I had enough witnesses to attest to everything that happened to me. I was able to get the name and contact information of the people who had leased the unit before me and they shared their experience with me. They had experienced the same exact things as I had. They had also done a bit of research. The property had a dark past that spanned decades. Here we go. Three suicides, a home invasion that resulted in two murders in the unit that wasn't rented. I was able to find a newspaper article about the home invasion. The property management company meet, the, mailed me my deposit and refunded me for two months rent. 
What they did in not disclosing the property's past was unethical, and now, in most states, it is illegal. The duplex was raised in 2019. The end. Wow, that story was a lot to unpack. And at first, mm-hmm. I was thinking the story was going to be like just a residual haunting with just right? constant repetition of 11 o'clock. Then when the spirit came through and used the energy from the vacuum to say, what are you doing? Definitely yeah. intelligent. And then it kind of seems like there was like some sort of like possession going on. Oh, yeah. And it's something. Go ahead. No, no, you go, you go. I was going to say just that I agreed. And in the beginning of the story, and, and this user is such an excellent storyteller, by the way. Yeah. I When I first read it, the first time through, I thought, oh, well, his biggest mistake was opening the door when the voices were there. He invited the spirit in. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But then they stopped and started. So that wasn't it at all. Yeah. They were already there. I mean, clearly, yeah, clearly based off the history of the house, like this has been lingering and clearly it's something so much darker than just the spirits that were murdered there or it clearly is something three three suicides like that's I mean regardless of how many suicides it's it's tragic but the fact that there was more than one it seems way more than a coincidence it seems like it kind of whatever dark spirit it is it hosts on people that are vulnerable and it seems like this person was going through being sober and so clearly had a really dark yes. that as somebody that's going through sobriety, you, you have those vulnerable tendencies still. So oh yeah, clearly this dark energy was sensing that and was trying to feed off of that. But thank God this person had such a, a core group of people in their life. Like oh. not a lot of people can say they have that support. It's, it's marvelous. Mm-hmm. When you like in the true sense of the word, I mean, how many people did he have? And yeah. the truth is, you know, as you know, admitting you are a former addict is very, very brave. And like you said, I mean, it was what two years and three months sober, which is, by the way, huge and amazing. And mm-hmm. the fact that um, this user also. I believe did not even have a relapse with, let alone with the separation, but with all that um, he was going through with his living space. I also just want to say is remarkable and very admirable. Yeah. Um, this far along in sobriety, I don't think there would have been any long-term effects causing any type of psychosis. Mm-hmm. And I will also say, because you know me, I like to try to rationalize a lot of stuff. Um, Certain infections can cause you to go into psychosis if untreated. Hmm. So, but don't come in our comment section pulling that because there were other people there confirming it. Yes. Right? Like I had a UTI once that was so bad. My mom found me talking in my room to someone that wasn't there. Right. And she was like, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was bad. And she was like, we're going to the hospital immediately. Something's wrong with you. And they're like, oh yeah, just a UTI. It'd be happening. Um, but like, you know, if I had a UTI and all of a sudden you called me and we're like, I'm coming over, my psychic said you needed me and we're bringing sage. Like those two things have nothing to do with each other besides the fact that maybe what you were saging out caused my infection. Yeah. So don't come with us with the, oh, infections can cause psychosis and drugs because no, those, those do not coincide. I just want to defend this author. Um, and like you said, clearly in a sensitive spot, 
the spirits, I mean, you said it best, really, right? I mean, they're going to try to take power over vulnerable people. That's why so many, and it's like they say about kids too, right? Kids are so fresh out of the womb. Usually they're good at sensing other spirits and everything, whether it's because they're just, their mind is more relaxed or because they're so close to that other side that they're still kind of partially there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this house has a horrible history. Honestly, just the history alone is enough for me to be like, oh yeah, 100% authentic haunting. So Lily, my last story is titled story told to me by someone I trust. She lived in a haunted house. This is by username card 66. This happened about 10 years ago. She was married to this guy now divorced and they moved into a house her father owned. First, it was little things like lights being in rooms when she knew she had turned them off. Things would go missing and turn up in weird places. Her husband at the time worked night shifts and she'd be alone with her dogs. And she told me she never quite felt comfortable in the house, especially alone. Her dogs would stare into the hallway and growl at nothing. They would go to the top of the basement stairs and bark, then take off running as if being chased. Then run back to the stairs and start barking again. This would go on for hours and dogs would then finally settle down. One night, as she slept on the couch, she woke to screams coming from the basement. She said it sounded as if someone was being murdered. The dogs were going berserk. She left the house and called her husband, who told her to call the police. The police came and found nothing. She said this would happen once or twice a week. So this was not just a one-time occurrence. One time would be enough for me, but, you know, to each their own. One day, as they were sleeping, she woke up but was paralyzed. She said she was trying to grab her husband but couldn't move. She said she could see something in the room. It was black and white and twirling or waving. She said it looked like curtains but couldn't see it very well. The next morning when her husband woke, she told him about her experience. He told her the exact same thing had happened to him. Only while he was paralyzed, he saw a floating horse's head in the doorway that looked like it was chewing on its tongue. After getting out of bed, she went into the living room where she had a fish tank. She told me the kind of fish she had, but I can't remember it. It was one of those fish that cling to the side of the tank, but a big one, like a foot long. She looked at the tank and saw that her fish had been torn into pieces. <gasps> yeah, there were no other fish in the tank. I didn't know where oh. they were going with that fish story, but that's really fucking creepy. Um... Her sister had lived in the same house before her, so she had called her sister and asked if anything weird happened at the house when she lived there. And the sister said, not until after I started playing with the Ouija board. <gasps> Bitch, for real? Yeah. Well, there you go. The sister had experienced strange things in the house, but not to the extent that my friend had. They decided to call a preacher they knew and have him come over to bless the house. The preacher came over and they explained to him what was going on. He proceeded to walk from room to room, praying and rebuking any evil from the house. She said they had landline phones at the time. And the minute the preacher started praying, all the phones in the house started ringing and would not stop. The preacher left and they immediately left after. Her husband had a clock radio with a CD player on it. He had an alarm set to play a CD when it went off, and after they came back home, the alarm on the radio came on, and the CD was playing, but was skipping. The verse from the song on the CD was repeating, let this be a warning, just over and over. Crazy oh, fuck no. shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
During all of this, she and her husband were constantly fighting, arguing every day, and just couldn't stand each other. Her husband started drinking heavily and not coming home most often, leaving her alone in the house. One morning, her husband was home and sleeping. She said she went into the bedroom and was looking at him laying in bed. She was contemplating leaving him and wondering if all the events in the house were somehow connected to him. She turned mm. to the room and she said she glanced back at the bedroom while walking down the hall. She said for just a second or so, she saw this creature. It was black and red and she said it looked like it had a beak on its face. She said it had four arms and was clawing at the door frame like it was coming after her. She turned Absolutely to run away. Not. Yeah. She turned to run away, looked back, and it was gone. She left that same day, called her sister, and asked if she can come stay with her. We've worked together for over 10 years, and she had never told me about this before. The whole time she was telling me this, she was getting goosebumps. She said she doesn't like talking about it because every time she does, something weird will happen within days. Like feeling someone touch or nudge her when no one's around. She's not someone to embellish stories or to tell outrageous tales that are hard to believe. She left work that night, then messaged me later. She got home and Googled sleep paralysis. The Wikipedia page has a picture of a woman in bed with what looks like a monkey on her chest and a horse's head at the foot of the bed. She was freaking out. She said she'd let me know if anything weird happens in the next few days. So that is the end of that story. And Mm. clearly there seems to be elements of sleep paralysis. Now, whether sleep paralysis is a paranormal experience or whether there's like, quote unquote, logical explanation behind that. Um, it seems like since the Ouija board kind of seemed to open up something more than just, I, I agree 100%. This is just another story backing up the fact that you should not fucking play with a Ouija board. Yeah. I I I think we bring that up at least once an episode or once every few episodes. I mean, there's definitely something there. I cannot imagine what it must be like to feel like you don't have your own home to yourself. Mm -hmm. And Also, something really validating in this being like paranormal and supernatural is the dogs, the dogs' reactions. Yeah. They say dogs, just like young kids and old people, are very sensitive to the other side. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely they are. So it's, ooh, I didn't just get chills and goosebumps thinking about that fucking entity she saw. Now, I want to ask you this. The woman had broached the idea that as she was looking at her husband, she thought maybe did he... Was he connected to something? Like, was it him being there had to do Mm -hmm. with this weird stuff happening? Mm -hmm. Or do you think that it was really just the doing of the Ouija board? And like, maybe whatever was over, whatever spirit was in the house, maybe was taking control of her mindset and making her think that it could possibly be the husband and, you know, thus separating them even farther apart so they could be more. Exactly. I, 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 I think it's the second. Um, and it's interesting you say that because when you read that part, I was like, we do not need to throw a lover's quarrel into this story because they have fucking enough going on. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of in the, I don't want to say the back of my mind, but I, I did find that interesting at first. Um, yeah, I could absolutely see it being driving them apart so that they're weaker separately yeah, and then her, doing even worse thing, whatever it was fucking planning on doing, you have easier access to someone who's vulnerable. And we said that in the last story as well. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. what is your last story? Okay. 
What is my last story? That's a good question. This one is by a Reddit user, Worried Dealer 616 Unexplainable experience slash spontaneous fires. Hmm. Yeah, this one's a little, it's a little long, okay. but we'll go for it. And it's a little different vibe. We're going to shift vibes here. Five or six years ago, I had a really strange encounter as a teen that I have never been able to explain or make sense of. If anyone has any reasonable explanations for this story, please comment below. So the background, this story takes place in Raleigh, North Carolina. There is a nature reserve area near my old neighborhood that I used to frequent with friends that became our unofficial hangout slash smoke spot. By the way, how many of these stories, paranormal stories that we read, whether they're listener stories, Reddit stories, experiences commented under an article on a place, is it teenager smoking weed? I feel like that also kind of goes with the idea of like when you're, whether you're drinking or whether you're smoking, like your spirit is kind of like in a looser state where maybe okay more vulnerable. So I feel like that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, or it's laced with something very, very strong. Anyways, I just feel like it's such a common, almost, it's, it's almost like a classic, like online horror story, like trope at this point of we were hanging out being 16 year olds and we were smoking in an abandoned building. And it's like, well, what were you expecting, sweetie? Yeah. It's very much giving like lady in white. Mm-hmm. Oh God. We haven't had a lady in white story in a while. We'll get back there though. For sure. All right. Um, the nature reserve is called Shank Forest. The area is owned and managed by North Carolina State University and is home to some of to some of veterinary school horses. It also operates as a teaching and research site for the uni university's forest management program. The land itself has an interesting story prior to it being utilized for university purposes, as there was a as there was a prison farm on the land pre-1930s. When visiting this area, even prior to this experience, my friends and I would always joke about how the land had a strange energy slash feel to it. In the parking area of the reserve, there was a small graveyard and abandoned house, which certainly further contributes to the interesting vibes. However, I never felt scared or uncomfortable in the space and would often go to the area alone. Here's the actual story. One night, I was about to meet up with my friend at the Nature Reserve Park. She was getting off work that night, and I ended up beating her there. While waiting for her, I parked my car off to the side of the road and turned it around to face the direction in which she would enter the park area. So basically, they parked their car so that they'd be able to see them coming. Behind me was the graveyard. I could see the area decently well in my rear view and left side mirror. It is important to mention that my car was the only car there and that there were no other humans in sight. The time was just past seven o'clock in the middle of October and the sun was almost completely set and it was starting to get dark outside. After arriving to the park, I sat in my car for a few minutes on my phone trying to kill time while I waited for my friend. After sitting there for a moment, something caught my eye in the side mirror of my car. In the graveyard area behind my vehicle, there was a small fire that had started on the ground. My immediate reaction was to get out of the car and to stomp out the flames, and that is exactly what I did. 
I found it a bit odd that this fire had started seemingly out of nowhere, but presumed that someone had tossed a cigarette out just before I arrived. The fire was in an area where there were dry leaves on the ground, so this was a plausible explanation at the time. After stomping the small fire out, I got back into my car and continued scrolling on my phone. It was almost completely dark outside at this point, and the sun had gone beneath the horizon. Again, something caught my eye in the side mirror of my car. The fire had seemingly reappeared instantaneously. I immediately presumed that I had failed to put it out the first time and got out of my vehicle once again to try to put out the flames. Upon getting out of the car, I quickly realized that this fire was separate from the first one that I had put out. It had started approximately a foot behind where the charred spot was in the leaves from the first fire. After realizing that the ground had simultaneously caught fire not once, but now two times in a graveyard at night... <laughs> I started to get a little creeped out and speed walked back to my car to leave. It didn't bo I didn't bother putting out the second fire. Just as I put my car into drive, I glanced back into my rear view to witness a third fire simultaneously just start behind the second fire, which was still burning. This time, I saw the fire begin with my very own eyes. I sped off and left the park as this whole situation made me quite uncomfortable and confused. The next time I returned to the area after this experience, the ground was still charred in three places in a perfectly vertical line. This occurrence was not a figment of my imagination or a delusion, and I have never heard of or experienced anything like this in the years after. Ever since I had this experience, I have been trying to come up with a reasonable explanation for how this could happen, but I have been entirely unable to do so. There were no he other humans around, and with the sun being down, there is no plausible way that these fires could have just been brush fires started by direct sunlight. I am not religious and do not actively practice spirituality, but I felt like these spontaneous fires were a sign that I was unwelcome there, or at least at that time. The entire experience has left me confused for years, and if anyone has a scientific explanation or theory to how this could happen, I would love to hear it. And then here we have the after story. This doesn't really pertain to my story, but it is something that I find to be rather sad and creepy. Two years after I had this experience, there was an execution-style murder committed in the exact graveyard where I had this experience. This was very surprising to my community as we all considered our neighborhood to be very safe and nothing like this had taken place in the area prior. Bro, that's always where and when the shit goes down. Like... We never locked our front doors until we had to. Anyways, as of last year, this land around the, this nature preserve has been become developed. There was previously no developments around the area whatsoever. And the dirt road that I experienced my story on is now paved. The abandoned home on the property has since been demolished. And now there uh, is a massive office facility that has been constructed next to the reserve. I wanted to include this information as I want to link the park's website for anyone who's interested in this story to reference as an explanation for how the park is now different than how it was when I had my experience years ago. It used to be more remote and was not nearly as well known by hikers and nature enjoyers prior to the development of the surrounding area. I will also link an article about the murder that took place there. To conclude, I wanted to mention that myself and others have had other strange experiences um, 
at the same site as well, but this experience is the most notable of them all. If anyone would like to hear about these experiences, I would be happy to share. Let me know what you guys think. So that's that. I mean, and then there are the links, but I quite literally, Rebecca, when I read this, I loved it. I do not know what to make of it. So there are articles that you can look up online that talk about connections of paranormal and fires being caused. We are all energy, right? It's kind of like when, when two things come together and it lets like an electrical spark, that's kind okay. of like what the theory is in regards to spirits and like energy. Like when two oh. energies come together and like they're constantly like colliding there could be a reaction and sometimes that reaction is fire. I kind of, I don't know. I mean, I can see that. What I also did find interesting though, was um, the fact that first of all, all of the burn marks were in one completely straight line, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's the shit. That's the shit that man-made fires usually consist of. Anything that happens naturally rarely has that. The second thing that I found very interesting was the author pointing out that they felt potentially like in that rush of, I have to get out of here. Maybe there was something protecting him to say, you should not be here. Mm. Right. It was either you're not welcome here or you, you should not be here right now. Yeah. Um, whether it was because it was unsafe, no, no matter what reason it would have been unsafe for them. I would like to look more into, because I know that they listed something that happened there after. I wonder if, and like, I can just like Google this later, or if any of our boothangs want to, or you do, Rebecca, whatever. I want to look into the history of, besides it being a cemetery, anything else that might've happened there, Mm -hmm. right? Because who knows? And it's possible that there was a disturbed grave in the graveyard earlier that evening and something happened that a fire began and he was just wrong place, wrong time. I I don't know what to make of it, but to me, a thousand percent, it's paranormal. And I also would like to say, yeah, I feel like a a common theme in most of these stories today is uh, narrow escapes from the authors of our stories, right? Like they all barely made it. I think that's a kind of a good relieving theme to have. So if I understood you correctly before, like, were you, were you alluding to the idea that like as a possible theory is that something paranormal could have happened where like these fires were set to make the person stay back to make them from something else happening? I think that would be a really good topic to talk about where like, if we could find Reddit stories, just stories online of people, something happening to them, but then realizing that like, if that situation didn't happen, something more serious could have happened to them. Like there are situations with 9-11 where people overslept and they weren't able to get on their flight or they got sick that day or they were running late into traffic, but they worked in the, in the uh, World Trade Center. And like, there's these weird circumstances where it's like, was that just a coincidence or was that our spirit guides doing things mm-hmm. where in the moment we don't understand why they're happening, but maybe they were preventing something that was in, that was in our fate to happen. I do love those stories. You're right. Yeah. On that note, that concludes this episode of Just Ghouly Things. Lily, do you have anything to add before we sign off? 
Um, your girl Lily is going to be back to working human hours and the Instagram page is going to be a lot more active again. A lot more memes. A lot more memes, more original memes. I'm going to pay that $5.99 for a year subscription to the meme maker. We got this. All right. You can follow us on Instagram at just ghoulie things podcast. Follow our personal pages at Rebecca Ruber and at Lily Baldessari. And you can join our private Facebook group at just Ghoulie Things Podcast Group. If you or someone you know has a paranormal experience they'd like to share on our show, make sure to email us at Just Ghoulie Things Podcast at gmail.com. Goodbye.